Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. I really look forward to this morning. And I sort of thought maybe we'd sit closer if we're cold enough, right? <laughs> Rather than spread out. Let me tell you, I think we're so hungry for good news. I saw CNN um, actually put, posted on their phone app a, a good news generator. You press a button and it goes through stories looking for good news. You're like, what? And so over the years, I've collected great stories from Christmas and from last year, uh, the, my favorite story from Christmas that is good news was about the McRae family. One day, it was April 9th, actually, they turned out their little dog. You'll see a picture of him. His name is Razzle out into the yard, and, and they live in a rural place in the country. And so, man, that dog just gets to play, you know? It's just like the perfect place to be a dog. They would do that like almost every day, except that day, April 9th, Razzle didn't come home. And they wondered what happened, you know? And, and so they went out the next day when he, he didn't show up and they looked all around. They went to the place that they knew where he liked to play way out back of their house. There was no sign that he was there or even that he had been there. And they looked high and low. And as the days passed, you know, they made those posters and they put them around on the telephone poles in town. And uh, then they even actually took out a, a Facebook page after a few more days passed to just announce, hey, if you found our dog, call us, bring him to us. We would love to have him back. And the reality is days and days passed and Razzle never appeared. No sight of him was seen. And they begun to wonder, well, was he hit by a car or, or did a predator um, uh, find their dog, this little guy? And the amazing thing is... Um, one day, oh, by the way, that was 10 years ago. One day, uh, they got a call from animal control. Razzle had been picked up, and they had found the owner's information on that little chip that they plant under the skin of a lot of dogs today. And they say, hey, do you wanna, don't you want to come pick them up? Well, the problem is it was 10 years later and Razzle was actually over 1,600 miles from his house. And you're like, how did he get from, from Arkansas? How did he get to California? How in the world did that happen? We can't just drive over and pick him up. So somebody in the neighborhood in California said, hey, I'll fly him out there. He was a private pilot and he was flying east and he made this journey. And here's the, the time when uh, Razzle is reconnected to his family. Talk about an amazing Christmas. Razzle, who'd been missing for 10 years, has flown home for this great a family reunion. Now today we finish our study. We've been we've called it the geography of Christmas or the geography of grace because we've looked at those places connected with the birth of Jesus, like Bethlehem and Nazareth and Jerusalem and even Egypt. And last night we looked at the manger. And today I want to take you to the temple because I think what we're being challenged to do is: Are you willing? And you know what it means to receive Jesus. Would you pray together with me? Let's pray. Father, it's so easy in the celebration of this holiday for us to forget, forget what it's all about, to miss Jesus. As we heard Mary share with us this morning, to miss the coming of Jesus and the life that we can have in him and so I pray today, Lord, as we're worshiping you, as we're looking at your word, you'll lead us on this journey that takes us back to Jesus, who is our life. And we thank you and we pray together in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Now we're told by the gospel writer Luke about this scene that happened not long after Jesus was born. His parents took him from Bethlehem, so before they went to Egypt, up to the, the temple. And you say, well, why did they do this? We see the Passover that happened over a thousand years before. God spared all the firstborn of the Hebrews, and actually the firstborn of, of Egypt died. And as a result of the sparing of the Hebrews, the Lord said, every firstborn in Israel has to be redeemed. And so a family would go up like Joseph and Mary do, did with their baby and they would make, they would offer an offering at the temple, the reminder that God had actually saved their baby, right? This firstborn of Israel. And this is what Mary and Joseph have done. They've, they've paid this redemption price. But in the middle of this moment, there's a very strange scene. While at the temple, no doubt in the midst of other couples, because every couple would have to do this with their firstborn. An elderly man approaches them and he is just wild with joy. He's overwhelmed with joy. And he's speaking things that they, they must struggle even understanding God's plan to redeem his people and how God told him to be there at that moment. His name is Simeon. And what we are told, we are told this about him. He was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. And so if you wanna know this guy, you have to think about he is a guy who's been waiting. He's a, not a young guy, he's an older man. And though there had been no prophet in Israel for over 400 years, there had been no mighty acts of God that anyone had seen. There'd been no sign that God was with his people. This guy hasn't given up. He's still trusting and waiting. How difficult is that? I mean, how difficult is it for you when you've prayed and you don't see the answer to your prayer? It just, it doesn't come. When you're looking to God and you're, you feel like you're seeing nothing at all, how difficult is it to continue to hope in Israel? I mean, hope in God. Here is Simeon. He's waiting for the comforting and encouragement of his own people, but he sees nothing. You know what he does, though? He continues to hope in God. He lived in expectation and longing. And I think that's the beginning of receiving Jesus. It's actually hoping in God. He's not thinking that the next king in Israel will be better than Herod. He's not hoping for a better economy or better relations with the Roman Empire. He, none of these things, and by the way, these things would be good for Israel, but this isn't his hope. He's looking for God's redeemer. And you know, I think about that today. We have so many of the same hopes that other people have in the world. We too long for peace as you're listening. As I was listening to Max sing, you know, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But we know that it has to come from outside our world. Now I know we're, we're tempted to hope in anything else and everything else but God. Now here's what I mean. I, I think history works like this. If you trace history or even scripture, it's sort of like this. Among the Jewish people, they wanted a king. And so they had this king, their first king, his name was Saul. And he was a mighty warrior and the people rallied to him and their hopes swell. He's the man, they think. This will be the time. But then Saul loses it. 
and they realize he's not. Their hopes are dashed. But then comes David. This guy is a man after God's own heart. He knows the Lord, and the nation enjoys success at every turn. He's the one. There's nobody like him. But then he loses it. His family implodes. You see, hopes rise and fall with every leader, every administration, everything, because we're, we're grasping for hope. We think we need a better leader at a better moment in history. And by the way, that wouldn't be bad. But God tells us our hope must be in him. We think we need a tweak to our lives. And you see, God wants to raise us from the dead. Now, here's how God's plan is described. It's why none of us can bring it. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the Lord will be, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I read that and I long for that moment. I long for this world. And you may say, well, why will a little child lead them? Because there will be such peace that any child could lead them. You see, this is what Simeon is praying for. He's hoping in God because he knows the world that we long for, we cannot make happen ourselves. We need God. You see, we need the justice of God to order our world. We need his forgiveness to heal our broken hearts. We need his love to restore our fractured relationships. We need his presence to drive away the darkness. And this is why Jesus came. He came to do just this. This is the world he promises to bring in all its fullness. So it has me asking right away, who are you hoping in? What are you hoping in today? You see, I think the greatest danger is that we hope in ourselves thinking that we can put together the perfect life or we can do everything well. And the result is we feel spent and burned out. You feel like you should be at five years from retirement and you just, you just started your career because we're all tired, right? And what's going on? I think we're hoping in the wrong thing. Anne Helen Peterson is the woman who coined the phrase, the millennial generation. She said it like this, deep down millennials know the primary exacerbator of burnout isn't really email or Instagram or a constant stream of news alerts. It's the continuous failure to reach the impossible expectations we've set for ourselves. And you know what? I don't think it's just millennials. I think we've all done this to ourselves. It's all of us. Yes, we hope in our leaders or the markets. We, we hope in ourselves. And yes, amazing things will flow out of your life. But our ultimate hope is found in Jesus. It's not found in our perfection. None of us can shine in every areas of our lives. I know that I can't. And by the way, this pressure will suffocate you. It will suffocate you in your life. You are God's work in progress, and our hope is found in Jesus. So this Christmas, are you hoping in him, in your life? Is he your life? You see, for Simeon, the good news is his waiting is finally over. Here's what happens. 
Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts where the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, I've always loved this text, right? And what Simeon says when he speaks to the Lord, he's become so attuned to the spirit of the Lord and as a result of prayer and a longing for the Messiah that he goes up to the temple. And it was just as Mary and Joseph have come with Jesus. And he asked to hold Jesus in his arms. And he's filled with joy and he breaks forth in praise. And you notice what he says first in Latin, it's these words, nuc diminis, nuc diminis. It means, hey, let me depart. It simply means I can go home now. But Simeon, I want to say, you're just seeing a tiny baby. Why do you want to go home now? Don't you want to see Jesus grow up? Don't you want to see Jesus start his ministry? Don't you want to see him feed the 5,000 and heal the sick, turn water into wine? Don't you want to hear Jesus teach? There's no one who teaches like him. And what about grace? Don't you want to see Jesus extend love to the woman caught in adultery and save her life? Don't you want to see his love poured out on the cross or see the empty tomb? Why is he ready to go home now? Because Jesus coming into our world is God saying something like this. I got this. I've got it. That's what it's saying. You see, God says, you think you have to make it all happen, but you can't. You think that everything depends on you and you're on your own, but you're wrong. I've got this. You see, this is what grace is in a nutshell. We think we can fix our lives, but we can't. Only God can do it. And you see, Simeon knows in seeing Jesus, God has it in hand. He's going to do it. He will redeem his people. He will make all things new. God will restore our tired and broken world. See, he knows if the Messiah is here, God has put this plan into motion. And so Simeon says, I've seen enough. <laughs> It's sort of like that scene in the movie Forrest Gump when he's running back and forth across the country and at some point he just turns around and he says, I think I'll go home now. I think that's it, I'll go home. That's what Simeon is doing here. It's Simeon's way of saying, I know that God is faithful. And I think that's what we see. Receiving Jesus means trusting that God will do all of this. Everything he has promised to bring the fullness of his grace into our world. As a young person, um, I felt the call to go into ministry uh, when I was doing summer missions work in a poor county, Webster County, West Virginia. And one day we were called to put a, a roof onto the house of an elderly woman. Let me tell you, um, her house was a disaster. It really was. Actually, walking across to inspect the roof, one of the members of our team fell through the roof into the house. It was horrible. The woman's name was Lottie Hall. She was well into her 80s, and her two-room house was made up like of a little small square. It wasn't very large. You'll see what a mess it is. And, um, it, and on the back, they had actually added the caboose of a train. 
How they had gotten it to the back of her house, I have no idea, but it was there connected to her house. We spent a few days shoring up the foundation and making repairs, and then it was time to put the roof on Miss Lottie's house. And of course, to put a new roof on, we had to take the old roof off. And I remember so well that elderly woman living in that dilapidated house, following us out to the road as we were leaving her home that day. And you know what she was doing? She was pleading with us to come back the next day. She saw the roof come off and she wanted assurance that a new roof was going to come on. Literally, there was pleading in her eyes and her voice. You see, she was concerned we might not finish that work. She wanted the assurance that we would. Indeed, we did return and we did what we promised. And I think this is the desire we have in our world. If we've seen Jesus, it's like, God, we want you to finish this project. We, we long in our hearts for you to take this. And, and we trust because Jesus has come, you will. This is the desire. And like Simeon, receiving Jesus means knowing God has this in hand. He's going to do it. And, and it's all of grace. We don't finish the work. God does. Here's the Apostle Paul explaining. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to do it, he says. God has this. He's going to finish his work, because we, and we know this because Jesus has come. Do you know that his plan of, of redeeming is already underway? And it's going to continue to the day when it is finished. This is what Simeon knows. This is why he says, hey, I can go home now, Lord. To me, it's a done deal. As I read this, I, I know the world looks scary right now. Nations are in turmoil in Europe, in Asia, and in South America, a recent study said there hasn't been more national turmoil since World War II. Now, I know the economy looks scary, but you know God has this? He will fulfill his promises in Christ, and you can trust God. Now, after Simeon says this, this is what we're told. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the rising, falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the, hearts of, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now I read that and I think, well, didn't we just hear the heavenly host sing about peace on earth and goodwill toward men and all that? Jesus may have come into the world quietly but his coming, as Simeon says here, is going to change the spiritual landscape of our world. It is true, Jesus will bring peace. But first, Simeon says, he's going to divide everybody. He says, some people as a result of Jesus' coming are going to rise and others are going to fall. And it's true, following Jesus is going to lead to persecution. And, and I think we like to skip over passages like this because, because we really struggle with this. And I think in the process, we're not being honest about the cost of securing our salvation. You see, what happens to Jesus is going to break Mary's heart. She will see her son hang on the cross and be brutally murdered there. But from that cross, Jesus is going to bring peace into our world, to provide for forgiveness, peace with God, 
and to create a new community based on his love. Remember, Simeon says, God has this. And yes, wherever Jesus goes, there will be a cost. Do you know that receiving Jesus, there's a cost to this. Some years ago, a writer for the New York Times section was out around Christmas time, and he, and he went to one of the, the churches in New York City, and they were doing the Messiah, you know, that amazing handle pieces of music for the season. And it's all over the place. You can hear it places around the country. And he sat listening to the Messiah, and he sort of marveled at it. He wrote this article that appeared in the Times. He marveled at it. It's so ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And you know what he did is he listened to it, He's like, well, where in scripture do those words from the hallelujah chorus come from? They're actually taken from the book of Revelation where the Messiah is wearing a linen cloth that is drenched in blood. And on his thigh, it is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he has come to earth to stake claim to every inch of our world as his. It's a frightening scene. And you see, as he's sitting listening to the Messiah, he's like, does, does anybody here know what they're, they're singing about? Do they know what Jesus, the claims that Jesus made in his life, do they, do they know what it means for Jesus to come into our world? You see, this is what I believe. We may not make much of following Jesus today. Jesus feels sort of like a, a peripheral thing in your life, or, or maybe you've accessorized your life with Jesus. You've just added him. But here's what Simeon knows. He knows that if we follow Jesus, he's gonna change our lives. A revolution is gonna come into our world if we follow this one who is Jesus. I remember when Sandy and I were pastoring, uh, I was pastoring in New Jersey, we were living there. We had a man in our church, actually a couple of families from India, and the oldest of that men, he, he had grown up in a Hindu family, Hindu village in India. And he'd actually been away from home and, and away from his own family and in, in another place in their country, and he heard the sharing of the gospel, and right then and there, he knew this God loved him and he decided he would follow Jesus. He went home excited to tell his family. And the night he got home, he told his parents about the God he'd learned about and about Jesus who died for them and loved them. And the next morning, his father woke him up and asked him if he was serious about his new faith. And he said, yes, he would follow Jesus. Right then and there, his father told him to pack up whatever he wanted to take with him and then he led him from their home to the outskirts of their village, and he told his son he could never come home again. He never wanted to see him again. You see, if you choose to follow Jesus, a revolution, really follow Jesus, a revolution is gonna come to your life. You may lose your boyfriend, or your friends may walk away from you. Your family may think you're crazy. To follow Jesus and live the ethics of his kingdom it can change your career. And by the way, Jesus is also gonna challenge you personally. He will change the way you live your life, the way you treat people, the way you use your time, the way you look at all the relationships in your life, the way you use your money. Jesus will blow up your life. You see, Jesus will be a sign spoken against. You see why we would rather have Jesus as an accessory 
because to actually come to him and receive him as he is, there's going to be a cost. There was a disciple, uh, by the time, way, there was a time when the disciples could see this. Jesus was challenging the people to follow him. And this is what we're told. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter said, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of, of, of God. Isn't that powerful? They heard Jesus and saw him for who he was, and they left. And Jesus looked at the 12 and said, are you guys going to leave too? And you know the reason they didn't? Because if Jesus is not the Son of God and not the hope of our world, we should walk away from him. But if he is, Christmas is the best day ever. This is the day when, when we learn who God is and, and we're called into relationship with him and, and the door is open for fellowship. And Simeon is saying, Lord, <laughs> I know you've got this. Yes, following Jesus, there will be a cost, but in Jesus alone, there is life and a life with him is like none other. My favorite sports story from this past year comes from this guy. His name is Scotty Scheffler. Maybe you've heard of him. At age 25, he won the Masters, the most prestigious, one of the most prestigious awards you can get in any sport, but it is certainly in golf. But you should know he's a follower of Jesus, so get this, he's, he's in the lead after three rounds, and he wakes up on the last day of the tournament, and he is so filled with pressure. I mean, he is so overwhelmed by this moment. I mean, he's just sobbing because of the pressure. And his, he, and his wife, Meredith, comes to him and she says this, does it really matter if you win this tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be the same person and Jesus loves you and nothing will change that. She said, everything in the world you need, you already have. And if you win today, so what? Go out and enjoy the game. Glorify God in all you do. And that day of nerves and pressure, by the way, here he is putting on the green jacket, became a day of joy for him. He won. He said he won because he didn't really care, because Christ is his life. By the way, I'm sure he wanted to win the tournament. But because of Jesus, it changed everything in his perception of who he is and what his life is all about. And so here we are on Christmas Day and the question is, will you receive Jesus? Will Jesus be your Lord? Not an idea or an accessory in your life, but will you receive him and follow him? Will you take seriously his invitation to come and follow him? Will you hope in him? Would you pray together with me? Father, it really is easy. We look at our culture today and, and Lord, there are some people there's some people who don't like Jesus, maybe even hate Jesus. And there are a few people that are all out for Jesus. But Lord, most of the people just yawn. They just yawn. They don't think Jesus is important. And so, Father, I thank you for bringing us before you in worship today. And, and again, teaching us about who you are. And about how Jesus came in to bring, came to bring a revolution in our world. 
And that revolution takes place in our lives too. And thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for fellowship with you. Thank you for the beautiful community that is your people. And Lord, we desire, we, we desire Jesus to be our life. And so this Christmas, Lord, teach us what it means to receive him. We know there'll be a cost, Father. Um, and we thank you and we pray together in Jesus' name, amen.